seeking the Lord's blessing, let us turn back to the gospel that we read in the chapter that we read in the Gospel of Luke and chapter nine, and we'll read again from verse twenty-eight. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, and so on. The whole life of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the days of his humiliation and exaltation is important. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his present ministry and his return are all important. However, there are events in his life that stand out more than others and undoubtedly there are crucial moments in the whole of redemptive plan of God. To begin with, there is the event of his birth, heralded by a star and angels to wise men from the east and to shepherds as they were in the fields. Then we have his baptism at Jordan by John the Baptist. When he came out of the waters praying, there was a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then there were the temptations in the wilderness for 40 days and nights, which afterwards angels ministered to him. Then there was this event which we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And here again there was the voice of the Father. Afterwards, there was Gethsemane. And during all the agony of Gethsemane, there was the ministry of heaven, when an angel appeared to strengthen Jesus, and of course the climax moment of Golgotha, to which there is no mention of the ministry of angels or a voice from heaven. What we have instead is the silence of heaven. But here this morning we're going to look at this event called the Transfiguration. The timing of this occurrence on which we call uh, the Mount of Transfiguration is important for us to note. Matthew and Mark say that it was six days after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Luke says that it was about eight days after Caesarea. But there is no contradiction in the Gospels at all. Luke simply speaks in a very general way and probably includes the day of Peter's confession as the first day and the day of transfiguration as the eighth day, while Matthew and Mark just numbers the day between the two events. However, what Matthew and Mark and Luke tells us is that the event upon the mount has a special connection to what took place at Caesarea Philippi. A 
At Caesarea, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they gave the various answers. Some say that you are Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets that was spoken of by Moses. And now this is interesting, for there are many opinions recorded for us in the Bible of what people thought of Christ, of who he was. Herod, King Herod, thought that he might be John the Baptist, being raised from the dead. Now, which is interesting when you think of the fact that Herod was a Sadducee, and a Sadducee did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Others thought of him only as the son of Mary, or the carpenter's son, or just one of the family of Mary and Joseph. Others thought of him as being a man possessed by a devil, and a blasphemous person for making himself out to be the son of God. Even though he performed miracles, healed the sick, raised the dead, taught in their streets, they still did not accept Jesus for who he was. And Jesus here asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? You've told me what others say of who I am, but who do you say I am? To which Peter replied, the Christ of God. We are told by Matthew that when Peter answered the question that Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that is, blessed are you, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is important for us to note there is the fact that the revelation of who Jesus really is can only be revealed by and received by a revelation from the Father. In other words, until the Holy Spirit works, and until the Holy Spirit works in us, we cannot know truly who Jesus is. We may know about Jesus. We may know about him. We know, may know his miracles. We may know his sermons and his teachings. We may know that he died on the cross. We may know that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven, and that he is coming back. But truly, to know Jesus Christ, there must be the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit upon our heart, mind, and understanding. So Jesus says to Peter that flesh and blood has not revealed or disclosed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. To know who Jesus truly is, I and you need the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. We may know about him, we know, may know his teachings, we may accept that he died on the cross, we may accept that he rose again, that he ascended and that he is coming back. But to truly know who he is, 
as the saviour of sinners, we need the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. Now, up until this moment, Jesus had said little about his suffering and death to his disciples. Nevertheless, we know that it must have been lying heavily upon his mind. So at this point, Jesus opens his heart and mind to them and began to speak to them of his sufferings and death. And Matthew tells us that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What was happening to Peter and the disciples was that they were refusing to listen to Jesus. They had their own ideas and conception of the kingdom of God. They had their own ideas of what kind of Messiah that they expected. Certainly it wasn't one that would suffer and die. We can find the whole conception of their idea of the Messiah summed up in the words of the two who was walking to the village of Emmaus when they said, we thought he was the one to save Israel. The whole conception was of a leader and one who would liberate them from the yoke of the Romans. Now we read that Six or eight days after that event at Caesarea Philippi, we have this event. When Jesus took Peter, James and John and went up into a mountain to pray. We are not sure which mountain. There has been a lot of opinions. But whichever mountain, important things took place upon it. Many have asked why three and why Peter, James and John. Well, the Bible makes it quite clear that everything is to be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, our Lord Jesus told them as they were coming down from the mount not to tell anyone what they had witnessed upon the mount until after his resurrection. The event was confirmed to us after the resurrection of Jesus in the mouth of three witnesses, Peter, James and John. It may be more difficult to answer the question, why was it these three individuals? We know that James was the first of the disciples or apostles to be killed, and that his brother John was the last. Peter was the disciple's spokesperson, and he himself had an important role uh, within the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What took place upon this mountain, I believe, in the first place, was for Christ himself. But it was also for his disciples, and it was also for me and you. First of all, then, it was for Christ himself. The transfiguration had to do with who he was, the Son of God, and with his mission in the world as the suffering servant 
of God. Here is Jesus about to descend from Caesarea and set his face towards Jerusalem and towards Golgotha, towards the cross. He opens his heart and mind to those who were his closest friends regarding what is to happen to him when he comes to Jerusalem. But we hear read here that they refused to listen. Jesus is very much alone with the thoughts that lie heavy upon his heart. We know ourselves and we are bearing a heavy burden upon our hearts, the relief we get when we share it with those who are close to us, at least when they give us the hearing ear. But here we find that the disciples of Jesus refuse even to give Jesus the hearing ear. They gave him no encouragement in what was about to be unleashed upon him as he went up towards Jerusalem. Six days after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi and up upon a mountain, Jesus receives the required encouragement for what was said before him, and that was that the Father ministered to him. As the shadow of Golgotha began to fall upon him, the Father gave him the assurance of his favour and of his love. First, Jesus received assurance of who he truly was. We are told that it was while he was praying that he was transfigured before them. One cannot be long studying the life of our Lord Jesus until one sees that he indeed was a man of prayer. That was part of his humiliation, that he was a man who was dependent upon prayer. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and when he came down, the people were conscious of his countenance, radiating light. So they asked Moses to put a veil on his face, and he veiled his face until the radiance disappeared. That was not something that rose within Moses himself. It was something that he received from the outside. This is the glory that Moses and Elijah manifest on this mount, which shall be given to us also when he shall change our vile bodies and make it like his own glorious body. We shall reflect in our bodies the glory that belongs to Christ. And that is what was true of Moses and Elijah. They were manifesting, or they were radiant with the glory that belongs to Christ. In other words, this is reflective glory. But that is not what is happening to Jesus upon the mount. This glory belongs to him alone. Moses and Elijah, it was reflective glory. The same will be true of me and you if we are in Christ. When the day of the resurrection comes, we shall reflect the glory of Christ. We shall share in the glory of Christ. But for Jesus here on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory that, he, that is, belongs to him, belongs to him 
alone, and it comes from the inside outwards. From the inside outwards. And this was an encouragement to Jesus. That this was an encouragement to Jesus can be seen in his prayer recorded for us just before he went into the agony of Gethsemane. But in a petition, the Father, glorify thou me with the glory I had with you before the world was. He has a longing to resume that glory no longer veiled. That glory that belonged to him was veiled during the days of his humiliation. But here on the mount, he's given a glimpse of the glory that belongs to him in order to encourage him. When the disciples wouldn't listen to him, when he, when he told them about his death and what was going to happen to him at Jerusalem, how he was going to be mistreated and, and how he was going to be crucified, they wouldn't listen to that. But here on the mount, the Father encourages him as he sets his face steadfastly to go to the cross by giving him a glimpse of the glory that truly belongs to him. On the mount, he is given to see the glory that belongs to him, but also he is encouraged with those who came to visit him from heaven on the mount, Moses and Elijah. It is interesting that on this occasion, it was not angels that came, for they ministered to him at his birth, they ministered to him in his wilderness temptation. They were to minister to him in Gethsemane. But on the Mount of Transfiguration was not angels that came, but Moses and Elijah. They appeared with him in glory. They reflected the glory that belonged to Christ. What an encouragement that was for Jesus and you of his sufferings and death. It was a reminder for him that his humanity is going uh, with him, that he is not leaving it behind, and that humanity is going to share in the glory that belongs to his person as the Son of God. We are going to be made like unto his glorious body. Moses and Elijah, as heavenly visitors on the mount, gave evidence of that. They appeared with Christ in glory, in the glory that belongs to the children of God, in the glory that the children of God will share with Christ on the day of resurrection. There are many opinions given why it was Moses and Elijah. And most of them are quite acceptable. But I don't think that it, that it is right for any one of us to make any opinion absolute. The most common one is that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. In other words, to represent the whole word of God as known at that time. But there is also the fact that Moses saw death but Elijah was translated without going through death. So shall be at the end. Some will have slept, and there shall rise out of the graves. Others will be translated having not gone through death. 
when Jesus returns, but their bodies shall be changed in their translation. And so all those who have slept in the graves and those who are still alive shall be sharers of the glory of Christ. They will both, those who are alive and those who have slept, those who have died, they will all reflect the glory of Christ. And so we have this on the mount. Their conversation, what were they talking about? It is for us to note that Moses and Elijah did not talk to the disciples. Their conversation was between Moses, Elijah and Christ alone. And their conversation was upon his departure. What he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, what is this departure? Obviously, it is his death on the cross at Golgotha. However, it is brought to us here as something that Christ was going to accomplish. You don't normally accomplish your own death. You just die. But here we are told that Jesus is going to accomplish his own death. And that can only mean that his death was a work that he was going to do. So Moses and Elijah is talking to him about this work which he is about to do. Here are heavenly visitors, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus about the death that he is going to accomplish at Jerusalem. You know, heaven was occupied regarding the death of Christ at Golgotha. The work of giving himself to death. And the fact that he was going to accomplish this himself tells us that he was always in control of his destiny. His life was not taken from him. Death could not take him until he said, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. For the scripture tells us then that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. His head didn't fall. He bowed his head. And he gave up the spirit. It was his priestly action. The work was accomplished in accordance with the word of God. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to receive it again. This commandment I have received of my father. This commandment was given to him before the world began in the covenant of redemption. This was a commandment that was given him by his father to lay down his life and to receive it again. Moses and Elijah in conversation with Jesus about the death that he was going to accomplish at Golgotha, telling us the interest of heaven in what was taking place at Golgotha. Again, Moses and Elijah were evidence to Jesus of the success of his death that he was going to accomplish at 
Gotha. The accomplishment of his departure meant the salvation of the church. Moses and Elijah and all the Old Testament saints went to heaven in strength, in the belief, in the faith of what Christ was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Their appearance would have meant that his mission was going to be a success. We read that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And the joy was the fulfilling of the Father's will in the salvation of the church. And no doubt, these heavenly visitors, Moses and Elijah, sharing in his glory, was an encouragement to Jesus. Here he receives not just a reminder of who he is, but a foretaste of heaven, a reminder of what will be accomplished by his death. The salvation of the church, the salvation of all those who will put their faith in him. Because Moses and Elijah, the Old Testament saints, had put their faith in Jesus Christ, who was to come, who was to die, who was to rise again, who was to ascend to heaven. They put their faith in Jesus, just like I and you put our faith in Jesus, who has come and who has died and who rose again and ascended and who is coming back. But, you know, it is interesting to see here how the disciples respond. And it came to pass as they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. When Peter saw Moses and Elijah departing from him, as it were, in the act of retiring away from him, he spoke which was typical of Peter, of course, probably trying to uh, arrest their departure. But what about his request? Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Although we may have some empathy with Peter's request, for there is no doubt that although he could not quite fathom or understand what was going on around him. He liked it. He liked what he was seeing. He enjoyed what he was seeing. He liked the company and he wanted to hold on to that company. He spoke here as one who found great joy in beholding Christ in his glory and seeing Moses and Elijah conversing with Christ. It was a glorious sight. It was a glorious sight. And it took place at night. So it was an overwhelming sight. It was a glorious sight. A glorious sight to behold. And Peter beholds here and is caught up with what he sees. Peter beholds the king, as it were, in his beauty and is caught up forgetting that the land of rest is very far off. The transfiguration on the mount was only a pledge 
of what still awaits the saints of God, the children of God. But Peter's mistake is that he takes a pledge of it as if it were the fulfillment, as if this was all. This was all. That was his mistake. It was only a pledge of what is still awaiting him and all the children of God. The land of rest was not on this mount. Glorious it, as it was, it was not permanent. It was only a passing experience. It was only a means to a higher end. There are moments like that in our own lives when we can't be caught up with our real presence of our Lord and our mistake is that sometimes we'll be content just to dwell there, forgetting that these experiences which are given to us at brief, brief, they're temporary. What we have on the mound, good as it was, was brief and temporary. Peter would confine everything to this mound. But Peter is not listening, you see. He is at once again pressing his own mind or suggestion upon Jesus. His intention and proposal looked so good and was going to involve hard work. However, Peter was not listening for his proposals went totally against the word of God. Jesus was transfigured before him and Moses and Elijah came from heaven to talk to Jesus about the death that he was going to accomplish at Golgotha. And Peter comes with his own suggestion of what should now be done. We are here reminded of the great truth that our faith and all that is acceptable in our worship and our work for God must follow his own word. We are not his counsellors. We are only the believing servants of Christ. Our attitude is not to suggest, but to listen. Not to tell him what is suitable and good, but to listen and hear what he speaks. Again, Peter's proposal was for us. Yet he shows himself how selfish he was. What about the other disciples? What about Moses and Elijah? Was he going to detain them and make them dwell here on earth, on this mountain? What about man's salvation? What about God's redemptive plan? What about the preaching of the gospel? What about the blessing of all nations of the earth? Peter was only concerned about what was good for us. It is good for us to be here. Let us build three tents for us. There is always a danger when we consider the kingdom of God that we evaluate everything on what is good and comfortable for us. What about suffering for the sake of Christ? What about bringing the good news to a lost world? Peter could not think of Jesus whom he loved and confessed to be the Christ, the son of the living God, to be further humiliated. Or even at this moment, he was unable to conceive of any higher glory awaiting Jesus than what was revealed on this mountain. It was difficult for Peter to understand that there was more glory in Jesus being stripped of his clothes, bleeding upon a wooden cross, in his visage, which was more marred more than any man and his father more than the sons of men, 
that when his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light upon the mud. There was more glory or more manifestation of the glory of, that belonged to Christ yet to come. In the eyes of God the Father, who judges according to truth, there was an infinite, greater glory in seeing the Son toiling his way to Golgotha, trembling beneath the weight of the cross with a desire and love to fulfill his Father's will. There was a greater glory in the sun hanging between heaven and earth than there was on the Mount of Transfiguration when the fashion of his countenance was altered and it became dazzling white. These were things Peter and you and I have to learn. As we are told, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It is interesting, and this is an exercise you can do yourselves, to look at clouds and how the, the presence of God is very often brought before us through the symbolism of clouds. A cloud followed the children of Israel because the presence of God followed the children of Israel. And in many other places, when God came down on Mount Sinai, he came down in clouds. And when the Lord returns again, he'll be in the clouds. The clouds represent the presence of God. And here then, a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Here the father makes his proposal and sets aside that of Peter. He says to Peter, listen to him. At different times and in different ways, I have spoken to you by the prophets. I have spoken to you by Moses and Elijah. But now in these last days, I am speaking to you by my son. And you listen to him. And the father is saying that to me and you tonight. Today, he is saying, listen to him. We have already noted the Bible makes it quite clear that everything is to be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So we spoke of Peter, James, and John as, as three witnesses of what took place on the mount. But not only do we have three earthly witnesses, but it was confirmed to us by three heavenly witnesses. We have Moses, Elijah, and the Father himself. Surely this attests to us that how reliable and dependent is the matter that is brought here before us today. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This suffering man is none other than my son who is suffering as my servant sent by me on a mission to complete my redemptive plan the salvation of the church, which he will accomplish at Golgotha. With him, I am well pleased. I attested my pleasure in him when he began his public ministry at his baptism, and now I still attest my pleasure in him as he goes forth to accomplish his death at Golgotha. Listen to him. His words carry the full divine authority. 
What an encouragement for Christ that his words were fully approved that, uh, by the Father, that he had spoken the truth, although his disciples were not listening to him. So we see this was indeed a great moment for Christ as he was shown upon this mountain who he truly was. Not that at any moment he was not conscious of who he was, but we must remember that he was truly man with human emotions and affections. And although he never doubted who he was, nevertheless in his humanity he did not always have the comfort of who he was. He wasn't being listened to here by his closest friends. When he wanted to open his heart, knowing what was going to happen to him at Jerusalem, and opening his heart and telling his closest friends, they weren't listening to him. And so the Father ministers to him on this mount to encourage him. Yes, his closest friend. When Jesus needed human affection at a time of crisis in his life, his close friends were unable to show him any affection in his moment of deep need. So the Father ministers to him. And there is the unveiling for a moment of the glory that truly belongs to him, but which was veiled for a while, but shall be manifested again. And he receives those heavenly visitors to talk to him about his departure, about his exodus, about his death, which he was to accomplish at Golgotha, to encourage him that his mission will be successful. And then there is the full approval of the Father. All that for Christ. And the Father ministering to him, giving him a glimpse of the glory that belongs to him and which is yet to be manifested. And the heavenly visitors proclaiming to him that his mission and his death was going to be successful because Moses and Elijah is sharing in the glory of Christ because Christ's death at Golgotha was going to be successful. And Jesus has given this glimpse. Your death is not going to be in vain. It is going to be successful. And here is Moses and Elijah as a token of that success that shall be accomplished at Golgotha. Well, although the Mount of Transfiguration experience was principally for Christ, we believe that there was lessons here for us also. We are told now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. It was late in the night. We can say that they were physically tired, so they fell asleep. But this was an extraordinary moment for them. This was a time when they were taken apart by the Lord in which he wanted to share this time with them and be part of this moment. And what happens? They fall asleep. It may be tiredness, but it could also be spiritual laziness. And when spiritual laziness creeps into our lives, what we find is that any spiritual duty to which we are called becomes a chore. Some of us, if not all of us, can remember when we first came to Christ. Tiredness was an unknown concept. We were so eager to exercise all our spiritual duties. But you know, the devil can make us tired when it comes to exercise spiritual duties like prayer or attendance upon the gospel. How many don't attend the preaching of the gospel? And many of them will claim that they are so tired. And yet many of them will be found doing many other things outside the sphere of the gospel. 
and tiredness never holds them back. It is a lesson for us always to be awake, always to be ready. And it's also a lesson for us because we are going to be made like into his glorious <coughs> Moses and Elijah as heavenly visitors on the mount give evidence of that. They appear with Christ in glory, in the glory that belongs to the family of God. We are told by Paul, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body or our vile body to be made like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then Luke goes on, and he says, when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. Mark says, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Matthew says, they fell down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And that is the great lesson. This was a tremendous, glorious experience. Me and you might envy them. To be on the mountain, to see and hear what they saw and what they heard. We might envy them, but at the end of the day, it was Jesus only. The experience was temporary. It was for a while. The experience told them of what was yet to come. What was yet to come. But their duty was to follow Jesus. Jesus only. And you know, it is not for me and for you to envy or, or to seek great experiences, dramatic experience, drastic experience. And so often we find ourselves wanting those things, envying the disciples of the Mount of Transfiguration for what they saw and heard. And yet what is important is not those experiences, but Jesus and if we are in Christ, that is, if we have faith in Christ, if we trust in Christ, the experience of the mount will be ours, not temporary, but permanently on the day of God's appointment, when we will share permanently in the glory of Christ. We will not see those things will be part of those things. Uh, James, uh, John, and Peter only saw it. They weren't part of it. They only saw it. But one day they will be part of that, just like Moses and Elijah. It was an encouragement for Jesus. It was an encouragement for them. It was a reminder to them that what is important is Jesus. Listen to him. Follow him. And what happened here will one day be our own permanent experience. May the Lord bless our thoughts. Let us pray. Eternal and ever blessed Lord, we pray that thou would bless thy word to us, that it may find a lodging place in our hearts, that we may be awake at all times.
and be dutiful at all times as we await the day of thine own appointment when we shall also share permanently in the glory that belongs to thy Son. We pray, Lord, that that would be an encouragement for us in this wilderness journey, in the journey through this world. There are many things to discourage us, to take us to the edge of despondency and despair. And yet, O Lord, we pray that we would turn to thine own word and that we would remember the great promises that thou hast given to thy people. We pray that thou would continue with us during the day and forgive us for all our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We shall conclude at this time by singing to the Lord's praise from Psalm 27. Psalm 27 at verse 3. Against me, though an host encamp, my heart yet fearless is. The war against me rise, I will be confident in this. One thing I of the Lord desired and will seek to obtain, that all days of my life I may within God's house remain, that I the beauty of the Lord behold me and admire, and that I in his holy place may reverently inquire. For he in his pavilion shall me hide in evil days, in secret of his tent me hide, and on a rock me raise. We shall sing these verses to the Lord's praise of Psalm 27, verse 3 to 5. Against me the one host in camp, my heart, yet fearless is.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>